Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message is, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Uh, my wife, Gretchen, and I, we have three kids, and our, we're very passionate about uh, children doing chores. Any other parents, uh, you like the same mode of things? Uh, my dad used to say this to me when I was a kid, which I didn't understand until I became a parent. We're always like, why do we have to do so many chores? And he's like, if I wanted to do chores, I wouldn't have had children. And so that's why you're here. And uh, I was like, what a weird thing to say. And now I'm like, he had something. There was something to that. And so we're big believers in like training our kids to do chores. And so my wife is super organized and she's got like this uh, laminated, color-coded chore chart and it rotates who does what chores. And there's like this whole system to it and everybody knows where it's located in the house. And uh, our kids are pretty locked down into like knowing and taking care of their chores. And part of it is because they know if uh, I get home in the afternoon and they're like, can we do this? Can we whatever? I'm like, did you do your chores? And I can just walk over to the cupboard and look at the chart and see if they did it and who's responsible for what. And most of the time they're great at it, but every once in a while I will go up to one of them and I'll, because I'll notice that something's not done, I'll look at the chart, which is conveniently color-coded uh, for moments like this, and I'll see who it is and I'll go to that kid and I'll tap them on the shoulder in the midst of doing something, usually with the screen. This is probably exclusive to our home. And I'm like, hey, uh, I noticed that your chore is this. Uh, you forgot to do that. Would you go ahead and do that real quick right now? And it's usually something simple, right? Something that takes three to five minutes to accomplish. And usually my kids' sweet, my sweet little innocent children's reaction is something like, right? It's like a grunt, moan, angry, bear growl thing. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Um, and it's just, it's this, uh, there, there's so much being communicated in that, uh, that thing. And it's one of the, my least favorite things. They're, they're so frustrated. They're so inconvenienced that they have to stop the thing they're doing and enjoying to do a three minute chore. And when I get home from like a eight to nine hour workday and I get like the grunt eye roll from like having to do a three minute chore, that frustrates me a little bit. And I'm, I usually am just like, okay, <laughs> time out, all right? Um, I worked all day, all right? What did you do? And this is usually they start backpedaling because they realize, oh, I've been here before. I'm not gonna win this argument. They're like, I don't know. And I make them tell me. I make them tell me. Like I slept in and um, mom made me breakfast and then I laid around and then, because it's summertime, right? It's like I played outside, I played video games, I watched a movie, I jumped on the trampoline, I, and, and I'm like, and then, and then it was lunch. I'm like, you did all that before lunch. <laughs> you know what I did? I worked all day. I worked all day and I'm asking you to do one thing to contribute and you are so annoyed. And they're like, well, that's your thing. I'm like, it's my thing. One of my kids told me one time, I was like, they're like, is that what grown-ups do? They just work all day? And I'm like, yeah, pretty much. And they're like, that's why I'm never going to be a grown-up. 
And some of you are 50 and you're like, I also never want to be a grown-up because I too have learned that this is what grown-ups do all day. I think some of us, we never like get out of this. We, we're still in that same mode or that, that frame of mind when it comes to work. My kids view work as a punishment, right? It's like this necessary evil, this thing that parents make you do because apparently they don't love you. I, like they can't figure it out. Why would they torture us in this way? And I think some of us, we have a hard time shaking this perspective, right? We, we tend to, even though we've grown up, to get rid of this perspective that work is this annoying interruption to what it is we really want to be doing, to what it is we wish we were doing instead, and we all know people who are very extreme in this category, right? People who are just like, you know, I don't want to work unless it doesn't feel like work, okay? That's, that's, I mean, I'm willing to do anything as long as it's fun all the time and nobody tells me what to do and there's no set hours and there's no, you know, expectations and there's lots of perks and the only feedback they give is encouragement. And usually when I talk to someone like that, I'm like, this is a job we're talking about, not like a birthday party you want to attend, right? Because that's what it sounds like. What are you talking, where is this magical place, right? I don't even know, like, I, fun jobs even aren't that thing, right? And part of the reason why so many people maybe have that perception or that desire of work is because we also all know a ton of people hate their jobs. They hate what they do. Like, they, they sink into this funk right before they go into work. Like, you know that they either are getting ready to go to work or just came from work because of how foul a mood they're in, right? They're like, she's mad, this must be a work day. You know what I mean? Like they're just upset, angry, annoyed of having to do it. They complain about it constantly. And when they're there, it's just like they're annoyedly sort of counting down the hours until they can get out of there and go do something they actually want to do, which is probably drink. Some of you are like, that's, that's offensive. I feel like you're talking about me. Um, and I get it. I'm just saying I get it, Okay. Because I really think that nobody should hate what they do, especially when you think about how much time we actually spend at work, right? If you live an average of like the average lifespan of 75 years, you work 40 hours a week from ages 25 to 65, that is a grand total like of 24 hour days of 10 straight years of work. That is a lot of time to just hate what you're doing, to hate every moment of that existence. I feel like, is that really something you can afford to hate when you are spending that much time invested in it? And for some of you, you're like, 40 hours? That sounds conservative. I don't remember the last time I only worked 40 hours. We're talking between 50 and 80. That's more the ballpark that I'm living in. I think our culture has this really complicated relationship with work because some of us are always trying to get out of work and others of us do almost nothing but work. We don't have sort of one cultural disposition when it comes to work. We have like really two extremes that a lot of people fall into. And yet the people that do almost nothing but work or who really find themselves into the extreme of becoming full-blown workaholics the work is not really as much about like they love the work as, as much as they are obsessed with the work, right? It's a compulsion. They're driven. They, they need to get the sale or the promotion or the bonus. Like there's a fervor, but also maybe like a little bit of a fear to it because it's like they're working because they have something to prove. And 
you know, unlike others who may just be working to earn a living, there's a sense when you're around people that are really like steeped in workaholism that they're not just like working to earn a living, they're working to also earn respect and validation and security and maybe even love on some level. And even when it takes a toll on their relationships and it takes a toll on their health, they, they still can't stop. They, they can't even slow down because they need it. It's providing something that they can't quite put their finger on. And so neither overworking or underworking really seems to be working. Um, and interestingly, like people that are really, that are, are find themselves in deep depressions, a lot of times there's like one of two things that are in place in their life. Either they are not able to work or can't find work or are out of work, or they hate their work. Because these two sets of circumstances lead us to a depressed state in life. And a lot of times these are the triggers that push us into really dark spaces. And it's sad to think about because there are a lot of people who exist in one of those categories. And what are you going to do? You need the money. Isn't that why we all work? Right? Because you, you need the money. Like you, it takes money to live and pay bills and, and it's just part of existence. A lot of us, I think, just sort of keep doing what we're doing the way we're doing it because we don't know what else to do, right? We have bills that are due and we've got to take care of them. So we just grit our teeth and we, we keep going. But what if you didn't need the money? Anybody ever asked you that question before or you just daydream about it while you're driving to your job? Like what, what would you do if you didn't need money? Because isn't that what we're all aiming at? at least inside of our current culture, right? Like the place where we have gotten in life, where we have saved enough money or earned enough money or put enough money away where we can finally retire and not have to work or do any sort of work. And we'll probably move somewhere like tropical and enviable that everyone else wishes that they could be at all the time. And we're just gonna live there. And it's probably gonna have water nearby and a beach and we'll get rid of our car and just drive a golf cart. And it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna feel like a permanent vacation. It's going to be paradise. But will it be like that? My grandma, who is in her 90s now, her and my grandpa were out visiting a while back, and they don't travel out here very often. They've been retired for several years. And I went out to eat with them, and we were talking, and they were being great grandparents and asking me about my life and all this stuff. And it was just the three of us, which was really fun. And, and I, I turned it on my grandma and I was just like, grandma, what do you do all day? And she was like, whatever I want to. <laughs> and I was like, wow. And I was thinking really cool. And then she said something that surprised me. She said, it's hell. Which shocked me. And she was very serious. She's like, the thing that you probably aren't thinking about because of how old you are and how fast your life is now that you can only sleep in so many days and watch so much TV and rearrange the plants in your front yard so many times before you get sick of it. And then she said this, I don't know what my life is about anymore. And there was something heavy about that moment. My grandpa's looking at her sort of being shocked that she said that. I'm looking at her being shocked that she said that. The waitress who's still waiting for us to order is just like, should I be here? Is this, this feels like maybe 
I shouldn't. And my grandma quickly ordered a pizookie and we just moved on, right? We moved on from that conversation to just get out of the weirdness of what we were sitting in. But she's not the only, you know, older retiree that feels that way. And I wonder, like, why is that? Why is it that there are a lot of people who have actually achieved the thing that so many of us are striving for and they got there and they're miserable? How is that possible? I think partially it's because there's something about what we do that we think tells the story of who we are, whether we want it to or not, whether it really does or not. And there's something about that that feels weighty. Now think about this. I mean, think about one of the first things you ask somebody when you first meet them. Like you try to get to know their name and maybe where they're from or whatever. And then you, you usually say something like, what do you do? What do you do for work? What do you do for a living? What do you do? We can't help ourselves. We, we're, we're convinced that we're going to get some sort of insight into their story by just knowing how they make their money. And I think for a lot of us, as it turns out, we struggle when we don't have an answer for this question because we're out of work, we don't have work, we don't know what we're gonna do for work. Um, or when we don't like our answer to the question, when we hate the way we answer the question because we're not proud of what we do, we don't like what we do, we, don't, we feel like other people don't respect what we do and so we don't want to admit to doing it. You ever ask somebody this question of like, what do you do? And you think it's gonna be like a quick answer, they just tell you a thing and then they go on this like really long, confusing, they're like, well, I mean, t- I, listen, I, right now, okay, it's, it's weird. It's weird because right now, this is kind of technically what I do right now, but it's like, I'm only doing that for a while because I, I, only until I can do this other thing, which is really what I wanna do because I'm not, and you're just like, okay, wow, this is like very defensive and there's a lot of stuff going on right now and I still don't feel like I understand how you earn a living, Right. Um, and so I'm just going to assume con artist. And that's what you think. <laughs> Is that just me? Right? It, it, whether they realize it or not, it's, it's almost like what they're really saying in that moment is like, I don't want to tell you because I don't want you to judge who I am based on what I do. I feel like you're going to make some assumptions about me that are unfair. And yes, I do this thing, but that's not who I am. So I want to sort of hide that from you. Why do we do that? I think, at least in part, it's because we tend to equate work with worth. And we also have this tendency to see some jobs as more valuable than other jobs, and those who do those jobs as more valuable than other people. And even though we tend to do this, we hate it when it gets done to us, because nobody wants to feel like like they are inessential. Like what they're doing is not important. It doesn't matter. And I think we look at this maybe and some of us are like, that's actually it though. That's the problem. This is why I don't like my life. It's because I don't like my job. And I think part of the problem there is that like I, I, I'm doing the wrong job. If I had a different job, if I had a better job, if I had a cooler job, a more higher paying job, uh, a more respected job, a more enviable job, if I had my dream job, I would feel way better about my life. I mean, like, how could I possibly love what I'm doing when I'm stuck here doing this? Like, this is not something I could love or be proud of or enjoy. It's not that sort of a thing. And yet, 
Have you ever been around someone who had like a low paying, low status job that you would never want, but they loved their life in a way you didn't understand? Like part of you almost wanted to discourage them. Like you should not be this happy. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. I mean, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but your life kind of sucks. I mean, like you were like, there's part, it's in your head. You don't say it out loud, right? Because you're a nice person. I, I remember the, when I was 13, I, had, uh, I got one of my first jobs. I worked at this grocery store in the deli and, uh, you know, like cleaning, cleaning it up and rearranging things and scooping potato salad and making sandwiches and stuff like that. And it was me and one other guy. And that guy was in his mid-40s. And we made almost the same money. We did almost the same exact job. I was super embarrassed that I was doing this job for whatever reason. He loved it. He thought it was the greatest thing ever. And I was just like how happy and satisfied and engaged with the people he was. And I like there was something about it that baffled me that it fulfilled him as much as it did. Why is that? On the other hand, there are people that we know who have managed to pull off the, the, the modern American dream, which is like to turn a hobby into a paycheck, right? And, and they're respected in their field and they make tons of money and there's no one to report to and they run their own schedule and they often work from tropical locations and they are miserable. Why is that? How can that be? Like I said, like our, our culture has a really complicated relationship with work. And I bring all of this up because I want to contrast this with something totally different. When we begin to, to dive into scripture, what we see is that there is a, a different picture of work that gets painted um, in the scriptures. In fact, the Old Testament begins with God working, right? He is handmaking a paradise and people to put in it. But interestingly, when he puts these people in paradise, instead of serving my ties and giving everyone a free, you know, uh, jet ski, you know, uh, like he puts them to work. He gives them a job, which sounds a little backwards. And some of you, if that happened to you, you'd be like, I must have read the brochure wrong. This is not what I signed up for when I came to paradise. Let me just read you what it says. This is Genesis chapter one. This is like as early on as you could get. Chapter, or verse 27 says this, God created human beings in his own image. And then he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So I want you to think about this. Like just from a critical perspective for a moment, this is a time before sin has entered the human story, which means that everything is as God intended it to be, by design. Nothing by accident or mistake, nothing has slipped by him. And what we see in this story being framed this way is that God's idea of paradise isn't an infinite vacation, but a meaningful vocation. A sense that we are called to contribute to something bigger than ourselves, and we're doing that thing. And so what does he tell them to do? He tells them to be fruitful, to fill the earth, to govern it, to reign over it. That's their job description in paradise. What does that mean? And the Bible wasn't written in, in English, but these other ancient languages, and this section is written in Hebrew. And these words that are translated into these phrases um, 
their meanings and definitions sort of overlap and intertwine. But essentially, what is happening here is God presents people with his incomplete creation and says to them, let's make something together with these raw materials. Like I left the job unfinished because I want to finish it with you. It's not an accident. It's not like I ran out of time. It's not like I, I didn't have the, the ability to pull off the plan I wanted. It's that you're part of the plan. And so what are these humans to do? Well, they're supposed to make babies. That's a fun part, right? And then raise them, not as fun, always. They're supposed to build communities, uh, craft healthy cultures, combine and create and organize He's not telling them to exploit the earth, right? To, to ruin it and trash it for their own pleasure for the moment. But he's also not telling them to leave it entirely untouched. He wants them to utilize creation, to make something out of it, to move it around, to rearrange it, to uh, combine it together and create something even better. Because this is how God sees work. In fact, I wanna, I wanna just jumpstart the first week of this series by giving you a joint definition of work, a biblical definition of work. Um, work is channeling your creativity, effort, and energy into helping humanity thrive and flourish. Channeling your creativity, effort, and energy into helping humanity thrive and flourish. And in fact, seeing and believing that you're doing this regularly, that's what makes life meaningful, enjoyable, and fulfilling. And as it turns out, like loving your job has very little to do with how much money you make, or even if you get paid to do that work, or what benefits you have, or how prestigious or reputable or cool your job or your company or your title or your role is, or whether it's particularly naturally fun or stress-free or conflict-free or parameter-free. Because here's the reality. If you hit your cultural or your culture's bullseye for work, but miss your creators, you will feel aimless and empty. And this is why we all know people who are successful in terms of what our culture has said you ought to do. They make a ton of money, right? They're doing, like people look up to them. They get like a million likes and shares on all of the best new social media and they're miserable. But the inverse of the statement is also true. If you hit your creator's bullseye for work, but miss your cultures, you'll still find fulfillment. So why is that true? Because it's how you're made. That, that verse that we read earlier in, in Genesis 1, at the very beginning of it, we're told that we're made in God's image. And, and, and by this, essentially it's saying that, that part of who we are is rooted in who God is. And so the question is like, what is God like? And this first picture of God is, is ultra important to discovering what that is. In this Genesis story, God is a worker. He's making something out of nothing and then arranging and rearranging that something into something else. He's planting and gardening and crafting humans out of dirt and breath. This is what God is like. I think it's interesting that this, this word, this Hebrew word uh, for the type of work that God does, it could have been a lot of different because there's more than one word for work in this language, but it's the word that means ordinary human work. As if to say, like, what is God like? 
he's not above grunt work, I'll tell you that. He's not above dirty work or common work or sweaty, exhausting manual labor on behalf of other people. And maybe this is a little bit mind-blowing for you because maybe you're just like, that's not really, I guess, how I imagine God. And it certainly wasn't for the people who heard these origin stories originally, whether people who lived through the Old Testament or New Testament times. Like, this isn't their idea of what a God would be like either. In fact, there are a lot of ancient creation stories that exist in these ancient cultures. Every surrounding culture's creation myths described gods as being, you know, sort of above or, or too good for certain types of work. And so that's why they created humans. They created humans uh, to essentially be cheap slave labor to do all the dirty jobs for them. And then their gods, these gods, could do what gods ought to do, sit back, Relax by the beach because that's paradise. But these stories, creation stories, don't just reveal a culture's gods, they reveal a culture's goals. And this is why these things are still relevant and essential today. These stories that we tell about who God is tells us a lot about who we are and what we're aimed at and what is important to us. The question that these people wrestled with was like, if God ever came to earth and showed himself, like, what would this God look like? And the Greeks, who were sort of the dominant culture when Jesus was on earth, they imagined a high-minded philosopher king. That's who God would probably be. And the Romans, they imagined a cultured statement, statesman. But the God of the Hebrews shows up in totally different ways that no one expects. God in the Old Testament shows up as a gardener. And in the New Testament, through Jesus, God shows up as a carpenter, which is probably better translated as like a common day laborer who just sort of gets hired out every day for whatever work is available in his community. And this is scripture's way of pouring eternal purpose into all different types of work because God does not see work in the same way that we often do. You see, our God is willing to do whatever work helps humanity thrive and flourish, no matter how small or simple or mundane or dirty or difficult or unseen or uncelebrated. But here's what's really mind-blowing. In all these examples of God doing work, he doesn't just do this work, he enjoys it. He likes it. He's fulfilled by it. He's having a good time with it with stuff that we're like, really, that? And then he tells us, you are made in my image. In other words, there's a lot about you that originated in me. And so if you really truly want to experience fulfillment and joy in your life, it is found in doing the same sort of thing. Join me, let's make the world better. Little by little, day by day, tiny meaningful task after tiny meaningful task. One of the New Testament writers carries this idea into the New Testament letters, and, and he says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. says, the Lord has given each of us our own work to do. We are all God's co-workers. What an interesting idea. Wouldn't you expect it to be like, we are all God's employees, right? But he's just like, no, no, we're, we're doing this thing together. I want to do this thing with you, alongside you. 
in partnership with you. I don't have to, I choose to. We're working together alongside humanity, alongside God to help humanity thrive. And this is the question I wanna pose to you to think about in whatever work that you do from day to day. Is that how you think about the dirty details of your job? Like think about the worst aspects of the thing that you do, the stuff that you hate, the stuff that you dread, the stuff that later on this afternoon, when you realize tomorrow is Monday, that you'll be like, you think about the difficult people you got to deal with or the frustrating students or the even more frustrating parents that you have to deal with or the annoying customers or all the bureaucratic sort of hoops that you have to jump through to get this thing done. You got to file that form and do this thing and fill out that. And all the people who say they're going to do this and they drop the ball and they don't do that. You got to do this. You got to go there. All the things that really frustrate you. Do you look at all the dirty details of that job and think that is frustrating, but ultimately I am working together with God to help humanity thrive. And so even in the frustration, there's something fulfilling about it. I don't think a lot of us do this. And if you don't, is it, is it more about what you're doing or the way you're doing it? I wonder if you've ever asked yourself these, these two questions, which I think are essential when we're approaching work to help us understand why our work may or may not be meaningful. And the first question is this. When you look at the work that you've been given to do, ask yourself this, would God do this job? Would God do this job? Because I think there are a lot of jobs that God would do that maybe we assumed he wouldn't because it sounds like too lowly and too cheap, and like not enough people respect it and like it. But again, God is willing to do a lot of lowly work in order to help humans thrive and flourish. But there's other things that God won't do because those sorts of roles or those sorts of things or those sorts of organizations, they do more damage than good. And some of us are miserable at the places where we work doing the job we do because we have an intuition that it's not adding up in the right sort of way. The follow-up question, if God would do your job, is like, how would God do that job? Right? Like, what kind of attitude or energy would God bring to that work? How would he treat the people that he works with? How would God, like, approach the day? How would God deal with frustrating circumstances and individuals in that environment? I mean, could it be that the frustration is maybe that you're doing something that God wouldn't do, or maybe that you're doing something in a way God wouldn't do it? But even if like your job passes this test and you're like, yeah, I, I feel like I'm doing something that God would do and I feel like I'm trying, I don't succeed all the time, but I'm trying to do it in the way that God would do it. But even if that is true for you and your job is making the world better, you're still not gonna love every minute of it. You're still gonna have moments that are stressful and exhausting and annoying. And maybe you're thinking this very logical, reasonable question of like, if work is a gift from God, then why is it like that? Because that's not the full story, what we've looked at so far. There's more to it than that. God gives work to humans as a gift, but then like when sin enters into the world, there's this accompanying set of curses that sort of infect work. Let's read to you what, what these are. Genesis chapter three, verse 16. Again, this is from the the creation poem in the beginning of the Hebrew scriptures, it says, God 
says to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, what does that mean? Because I'm sure we've all spent time hearing it misinterpreted in ways that make us angry. So what is actually happening here? And here's what I actually want to do. I think it's really helpful in this particular passage, especially since we're, we're, we're talking to a bunch of people about work, to zoom out from the particulars and look at the principles that, are, that God is trying to communicate here. Essentially, because essentially um, making people is a creative endeavor. You're taking this and this and putting them together and making something new. And if you're not sure how that happens, ask your mom later. This is not my day to do that. But it is a creative endeavor of taking raw materials and making something new with a collaborator. That's essentially what it is when you boil it down to it. And what God is saying here is any creative endeavor is going to be painful. And even beyond that, you are going to want to control the people that you're creating with, and you're going to want to control your creation, whether we're talking about a person or whether we're talking about a strategy or an app or something that you've organized or something that you, like your brainchild, your new like initiative that you've designed. Like when we get into something, we're like, yeah, let's work on this together. And then after a while, aren't those people so annoying because they don't get it? And they don't, they don't think like you and they don't act like you and they don't contribute like you. And that's frustrating. And don't you think like, man, this would be so much better if I could just control all you people and you would do it the way I want it done. We want to control the people that are contributing alongside of us. We want to control the thing that we are doing in and of ourselves, but it is not possible. He's telling these people they're not going to be able to. And the level of trust that comes with collaboration that brings about the kind of creation in our world that brings us fulfillment is going to constantly be a struggle. But even though that's true, don't stop creating because it's what you're made for. Then he goes on to extend this by saying this in Genesis chapter three, verse 17, he says to the man, God says, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you'll struggle to scratch a living from it. It'll grow thorns and thistles, though you'll eat of its grains by the sweat of your brow. What does that mean? Again, the, the, the broad principles here that God is saying like meaningful work is not gonna be easy and the results are not gonna come quickly. And that is annoying. You're gonna have to fight through obstacles and you're going to, you're gonna ha not be able to control the results. Like even if you do everything right and perfect, you're still not gonna get all of the exact results you want. And you're going to find that frustrating. Some of you are like, yeah, I do. I currently do. Even the things that you do that are good are going to have unintended consequences, right? You're going to be like, I'm trying to grow this fruit and thorns and thistles are coming up. And you're like, that's not what I was trying to cultivate, but it's all there mixed in together. There's going to be frustration in the midst of your fruitfulness and doing good is going to be hard and it's going to hurt at times, but even still don't stop doing good. Don't stop working for the good of humanity because it's what you're here for. So I guess essentially what God is saying here is the same thing I've been saying, like you're gonna have a complicated relationship with work. I'm just gonna let you know right now. But I think the big question that I wrestle with is if work has this sort of two-sided nature, 
how do we experience more of the blessings of work than the curses of work on a day-to-day basis? When you look around at the people who like you share a life with or just the people in your orbit, doesn't it feel like a lot more people are experiencing work as a curse and not a blessing? Or like 80% of it is a curse and 20% is a blessing. I don't think this is God's intention with the way that we navigate life, that at its root, it is a blessing to be enjoyed and to experience fulfillment through. And yet there's stuff that we have to weed through to get there. And so how do you do that? As it turns out, like the rare unicorns who actually enjoy their jobs, their, their work tends to have a few things in common. And I wanna just give you a list of these things because I think it's a helpful filter. And we're gonna dive deeper into these things in the weeks to come as we move through the series. But the work that people do that they tend to really love and be fulfilled by, it's usually something that they're capable of yet challenged by. Right? So they have the, an ability to do it, but also they have, to, they have to try, they have to work at it, they have to apply themselves to actually make it into something and grow and get better at it. And it's that little bit of struggle that makes it magic. The second thing is that it's something that they believe is benefiting other people. Like they can see the clearly connected dots between like what I'm doing and how people, how humans are, are, are growing and thriving and flourishing as a result. Now, this is really carefully worded, right? They believe that what they're doing is benefiting others. You can do something that benefits others, but if you don't see how that's true, it won't be a benefit to you. We have to actually understand how what we're doing is making a difference. And some of us can't see how it is. And some of us are doing things that really aren't making a difference. We may want to get out. The third thing that, that is, they have in common is that it's something that fits their strengths and season of life. Sometimes there are things where it's just like, man, you just, that's just not a thing that you're great at, right? I mean, you've seen American Idol. Like there's all kinds of people where you're just like, I love that that's your dream. Like that's, we're not gonna go all in on that, okay? That's not, I'm sorry, sweetie. It also has to fit your season of life because especially as our lives change and dynamic changes and families change, right? We have time, ability, capacity to do some things in certain seasons and not in others. It tends to be something that they care enough about to give their best to. It doesn't have to be their favorite thing ever, but they have to care enough about it to say, this deserves my best. Today, I'm going to show up and give my best work, my best attitude, my best effort to this endeavor, or at least my piece of it. And it tends to be something that they're doing alongside others that they value. And sometimes we are drawn to things because there are people that we respect and admire that work there or that we get to work around. And sometimes we show up and initially we're just like, I don't know about these people. But as we begin to work alongside them and we start to see them in a different light, we begin to unfold their particular personal version of genius. We we begin to value who they are and what they bring to the table, even though they are different from us we begin to see why they're collaborating in this environment with us at this moment. And when we value other people, they tend to value us in return. And that's it. And what's interesting about all this stuff is that if you run almost any job through this filter, there's a lot of stuff that will pass for you. And there's some things that won't. I mean, maybe your dream is to do one specific thing and you're like, I'll never be happy until I can do that thing at this level in this way for this amount of money. 
But in reality, if you look at this accurate biblical scriptural filter, there's a lot of things that you could put through there that you could actually enjoy and be fulfilled in. You're like, man, I, you know, I don't know that I want to be a checker at a grocery store. But if I put it through this filter, that I actually could get a lot of meaning and depth and fulfillment out of that. Not everything is going to pass, though. Pimp, you put that through, it's not going to work. I don't mean to offend any pimps here. Maybe I do. Maybe I do, in fact. You shouldn't be doing that. There's a few reasons why you're not fulfilled. I think a lot of people are miserable in their work because they are using the wrong filter to determine what's meaningful. Because again, if, if you pursue and actually succeed in achieving everything that your culture tells you your work needs to, but nothing that the creator tells you is actually important, it's gonna feel hollow. And the inverse is also true. And I wonder if some of us are miserable because we have determined that unless we can meet all of these cultural criteria, which are probably impossible, improbable, and unnecessary, that we can't be happy. And it's a lie we're telling ourselves that are keeping us miserable. There's this scene that gets echoed over and over again in the Old Testament in this creation story where God will create something, he'll do work, and he'll create something, and then he'll, he'll step back from that thing and he'll look at it, and he'll say to himself, and that's good. He keeps doing it over and over and over again. God will push back and, and look at the work that he's just done for that day and say, man, that, that's good. It's, he's expressing this deep sense of satisfaction that he did a good job, that his investment was worthwhile, that he's proud of his contribution. And here's why I bring this up. Isn't that the goal? So no matter what your job is, to be able to do something that when you step back at the end of a day, a week, a year, whatever it is, that you look on that thing that you did. And maybe it's a thing that's not really respected much by your peers or by society. Maybe it's a thing where you don't really make that much money. Maybe it's not the thing that your parents wanted you to do originally, right? Maybe it is the sort of thing where you're like, I, there are things I don't like about this, this company or this organization or the way that things work around here. But at the end of the day, when you step back and you look at it, there is this deep sense inside yourself that what you did and how you did it, that you can honestly say, this is good because I'm partnering with God. I'm partnering with God to help humanity thrive and flourish. And although I can't accomplish that by myself, my part is important and I did it to the best of my ability today. And I'll tell you, when you start looking at the world this way, a lot of things begin to look different. Not just your work, but a lot of people's work that maybe you never noticed before and definitely didn't admire before. When you begin with just thinking about life in this way, it transforms work for you. And so this is my homework for you because you can't do a series on work and not give homework. It just feels wrong, right? So here's the question. What are three ways you're partnering with God through your work to help humanity thrive and flourish? Maybe you've not sat down and thought of this before. I'm not gonna cap you at three, but come up with at least three. Some of us are miserable in our work because we can't identify why it is actually helping to make the world better, why our part is significant. And so it, it, 
we're like, I don't know what my life is about anymore. Some of us are in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing. And that, that's why it's not great because we understand that, that like what we are a part of is, is not great for people in the world. And others of us are in a situation where we don't need a new job. We need a new perspective on the one we already have. We need to begin to see it in a different light. We need to begin to see it through God's eyes because when you begin to see your work differently, you work differently. You invest yourself differently. Your attitude is different. The way that you approach the situation is different. The way you treat the people around you is different. The way you go to and come home from work is different. And even the way you treat other people who are doing jobs that you never noticed before, that shifts and changes and is different. Stuff you never noticed before, you're like, wow, I, you know what? I thought they were just filling potholes, but that person got up early and is giving of themselves to help humanity thrive and flourish. And I'm grateful. That, that teacher who sometimes I, I argue with about stuff about my kid, in reality, they are a gift to me. They're doing something that I can't do. I'm not called or empowered to do. They're helping humanity to thrive and flourish and they're starting with my family. And that's a gift. This guy at Chipotle who understands what extra chicken means. I mean, he is doing the Lord's work, okay? This, some of these aren't as far-fetched because you're like, obviously, right? And just like the, the energy and the excitement and the happiness that they bring, like they're, they're helping humanity to thrive and flourish, which is why I'm, I'm convinced in this moment that cheese dip on a salad is still healthy. I just wonder if we allowed God to change our framework if we might begin to experience what we do and the way we do it in a totally different way. And if that might change our lives completely. That's my hope and my heart for you during this series. And I wanna pray that into your life today. Would you just bow your head uh, around this room, wherever you find yourself at home, unless you're driving, listening to this. God, I am so grateful for the lives that you have given us. And God, I'm grateful that we don't just have life, but we, we have reasons to live. And those reasons are to partner with you to continue cultivating your creation. God, it is humbling to think about ourselves as your coworkers, as people who come alongside you and play a very intentional role in the universe to push the human story forward. And yet it is not a given. We can choose to be a part of it in a positive way or not. We can choose to partner with you or work against you. And God, a lot of times that is the line between fulfillment and misery. Actually doing that and then being aware of what it is we're doing. God, I pray that you would convict those of us that are maybe in environments or doing work that is actually working backwards in terms of where you wanna take the world. And, and God, those of us who just, and we're having trouble connecting what we do to the bigger story of your kingdom and your will and your way. God, I pray that you would connect the dots for us and we would see in a very clear way how what we do day in and day out, 
helps humanity to thrive and flourish. May you fill our hearts with a sense of meaning and purpose and fulfillment. God, even make the little things we do fun. It's possible with you. God, may you do all of these things that we need to enjoy our lives as we learn to trust you and see the world your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.